the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I was five or six years of age. And we lived in a rural part of the country. And my dad said to me one day when I was five or six years of age, he said, Paul, I want to take you out. I want to teach you how to drive. And so we drove out into the country and I sat in his lap. He said, Paul, I'm going to push the pedal. Your feet can't reach it. You steer. You steer. You put one hand here and you put one hand here and you steer the car. I said, Dad, I'm a little bit afraid to do this. And he said, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just make sure you stay on the highway. Make sure you stay on the road. And it seemed like for about an hour, it's probably about two minutes, uh, and I was driving that car. And when I was finished, my dad said to me, you did super, Paul. You just really, really did good. And I said, yeah, I kept it on the road, didn't I, Dad? He said, you did a fine job. And then it was time for me to get off his lap and go sit next to him. And as I got off his lap, I noticed that his hand was on the bottom part of the steering wheel. I said, Dad, was your hand there all this time? He said, yes, it was, but you did a good job. And I said, why didn't you let me drive? Why did you have your hand on the bottom of the steering wheel? He said, because I love you so much, and I want to keep you safe. End of conversation. On this Mother's Day... The message I want to share is from Romans 8.28. And that particular verse in the Bible tells you, mothers, fathers, single, widow, divorce, children, teenagers, collegians, baby booners, millennials, Generation X. That verse tells you that from the moment you're conceived... And to the moment you close your eyes for the last time, God has never taken his hands off the steering wheel. There is never a time, he said, I'm going to let you do life by yourself for a few minutes or a few hours, a few days. I'm going to turn the steering wheel over to you. He's never done it, not for a single second. His hand is always on the steering wheel, Mom. His hand is always on the steering wheel. It was Mother's Day 1988. It was my first Mother's Day here. Jonathan was seven. Joshua was five. And on that particular Mother's Day, I preached a message entitled, A Soft Pillow for Tired Hearts. I wrote it for my wife. I don't know what the circumstance was. Maybe just having a seven-year-old and five-year-old was enough circumstance. 
It wasn't a message about how to be a, bit, a good Christian mother. It wasn't a message about do's and don'ts. I think far too many mothers and fathers are burdened. They're burdened enough with that stuff. They second-guess themselves all the time. And the older they get, the more they second-guess themselves. If only I hadn't moved. If only I hadn't put my children in that school. If I only had put them in this school. If I hadn't changed jobs. All the ifs that come with being a parent. And forget being a parent. I don't think there's a human being alive who doesn't spend some time uh, second-guessing themselves. If only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only. And we have this mighty, mighty verse, Romans eight twenty-eight, in which we are told you can second-guess yourself all the time, but you forget the big guy upstairs. You forget him. Psalm 139 has become my favorite psalm these last 10 years. It says God knows when you rise up and God knows when you lie down. He knows when you close a portion of your life and he knows when you open another portion. He knows every thought you have. He knows every word you're going to speak before you speak it. If you got up early in the morning, he'd already be up. If you go across to the far side of the ocean, he's already there. If you ascend up into the heavens, he's already there. If you go into the darkest places of this earth, he's already there with his lights. We second-guess ourselves, and we forget that we think we're steering this wheel called life. And his hand is always on the bottom portion of that steering wheel. Never a moment does he say, you take over. Never a moment does he say, I'm going to let Satan drive for a while. Romans 8, 28, the verse. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called for his purposes. All things. Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. It's his third missionary journey. He's in Corinth. Ninety percent of the church in Rome is Gentile. That's not hard to figure. Ninety percent of that congregation is Gentile. Ten percent is Jew. The Gentiles are lording it over the Jews in that congregation. But that's another sermon for another day. Since they are Gentiles, their culture has always been, if something good happens in my life, the gods, the Greek gods and the Roman gods, they're pleased. But if something bad happens in my life, Zeus on Mount Olympus must be angry at me. I must have done something wrong and he's punishing me. I have to do something good. I have to make some sacrifice. And maybe then the gods on the mountains will be pleased. That was their culture. And the Apostle Paul, when he writes the book of Romans, is like a theological essay. It's a long treatise. No other letter he ever wrote like this one. No apostle has yet gone to Rome. He's saying to them, I'm coming to Rome, and this is what I'm going to teach you. 
And if I have it in writing, you're going to be able to look at it every single day. He makes a point about all men sin. And all have fallen short of the glory of the one true God. And he says in there, he talks about sanctification, justification. He says, there's nothing you can do to appease this God. He sent his son to die on the cross that your relationship with him through that death and resurrection might be made whole. And after he's covered these theological parts in Romans chapter 3 and other portions of that scripture, he come to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, and in that verse he says, When bad things happen, Gentiles, I want you to remember one thing. All of these things that happen in our lives, they work together for good to those who love God, to those who believe in this God, and to those who serve him. All things work together for good. The Bible says all Scripture is given for four purposes. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. It says all Scripture, Romans 15, 4, is written for our encouragement and our strength and our growth. You agree with me, I'm sure, when I tell you There are certain persons of Scripture that you wonder, how is this inspiring my life? If you're in 2 Chronicles or if you're in the book of Leviticus, you're saying, why has God put this across my path? What does this have to do with my life? But when you come to a verse, and there are 7,200 of them, when you come to a verse in the Bible that holds a promise that God has given you, Then the inspiration comes. Because in that verse you are told by God himself, I am watching over you. If you need a verse pertaining to mercy, God will put it across your path. If you need a verse pertaining to hope, God will put it across your path. If you need a verse pertaining to forgiveness of sins, Because you've never forgiven yourself from that sin committed decades ago. God puts that verse across your path. And if you need a verse in which you are told that your mother is safe in heaven, your father is safe in heaven, your son or daughter is safe in heaven, your spouse is safe in heaven, God will bring that verse across your path. 153 times he'll bring that verse across your path. And when you and I, the children of God, so prone to saying, if only I had done this differently, if only I had made this choice. Romans 8, 28 says, it's not about you. It's about God taking everything in your life, the good things as well as the bad The acts of righteousness as well as the acts of sin. God takes everything in your life. And he works it for your good. 
God's good is oft times not understood. Cliché, perhaps. But I say it with all the passion I can. God's goodness is not always understood. When David has been anointed king of Israel by the great prophet Samuel, for seven years he is running from King Saul, who wants to kill him. I doubt if David on the backside of the cave of En Gedi, with Saul at the front part of that cave, I doubt if David is saying, this is working for my good. What David is saying is, this is the day that I will most likely die. Because he's right there at the front of the cave and I'm in the back of the cave. He wasn't sitting there saying, this is working for my good. When he escapes from that one, by God's great help, he's all boxed in at the border between Philistine and uh, the Israelite nation. Saul has him cornered like the Red Sea in front, Pharaoh behind. And David says, the only way I'm going to survive is to enter into the village of the Philistines. The one whose champion I killed some years ago. I will pretend I am insane. I will foam at the mouth and I'll blubber and I'll pretend I'm insane. And maybe then they won't kill me. I doubt if at that time David was saying, this is working for my good. Give me more stuff, God. None of us do. None of us do. When some success is going on in our son or daughter's life or our life, we praise God to the highest. But when some child is going on, we do not say, this is working for my good. You don't stay awake at night saying, thank you, God, this is working for my good. You stay awake at night worrying about what this trial is going to end up meaning. Did David forget about God in those seven years? Did he say, I'm so worried about my life, I'm going to forget about God? No. I know that during those seven years he kept thinking about the God who a few years earlier had delivered a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath into his hands. He kept reminding himself, this God who was with me then is the same God who is with me now. Indeed, when King Saul fell asleep and David and his men crept up to him, and he could have killed him, but instead he cuts off a piece of his robe... And the next morning he says to Saul, are you missing a piece of your garments? I have it in my hands. I could have killed you, but God forbid I harm his anointed. Whose name does he mention? God. God forbid that I should harm his anointed. He didn't forget God, but neither was he saying, hey man, this is working for my good. Moses didn't always understand. Abraham didn't always understand. Jonah didn't always understand. The Twelve disciples didn't under, always understand. The Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross watching her son die, she didn't always understand. Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus died, they didn't always understand how these things were working 
for their good. But God understood. God understood. And that was enough. Joseph is 17 years of age, comes to his brothers in the fields. Says to them, let me tell you about some more dreams I've had. Your sieves bowing down to me, the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to me. And for some bizarre reason, he thought that they would be excited about that news. They hated him because he was his father's favorite, born of Rachel. And now they hated him even more as he has the arrogance and the stupidity to say to his older brothers, you're going to be bowing down to me. Even his parents said to him, are you out of your mind? When he comes and visits his brothers, they throw him into a pit. And they talk about murdering him as he listens to their words. I doubt if when he's in the pit, he's saying, they're working for my good. If it hadn't been for his older brother Reuben, he'd be dead. Reuben goes away, some Midianite slave traders come through. Brothers say, let's not kill him, his blood will be on our hands, let's sell him into slavery, and they do. I doubt if this 17-year-old teenager is saying, this is working for my good. God watches over him, puts him in Potiphar's house, 13 years he's there. Command of all of Potiphar's properties. When he's 30 years of age, Potiphar's wife said, good looking boy, why don't you come in and lie down with me? What does Joseph say? God forbid that I sin against him in this manner. Did Joseph lose his faith in God when he was sold into slavery? Did Joseph lose his faith in God? The answer is no. He says, God forbid I should do this. He's not killed. God protects him. He's thrown into prison for four years. When he's in prison, does he forget God? Does he say to God, I lived according to your commands, and now I'm rotting away in prison? No. What does he do in prison? Praise to God. Two employees have a dream. By God's help, he interprets the dream. Two years later, Pharaoh says, I'm having bad dreams. And one of those employees said, there's a guy in prison. God will help him interpret this dream. And when Pharaoh calls him and he says, Joseph says, I don't have the power to do this, but God will give an understanding. Do you understand? No matter what is going on in your life, God's hand is on the steering wheel. And if it's the worst nightmare that has ever happened in your life, you might be angry at God. You might be perplexed as to what his ways are, what his thinking is. But you never forget that he's there. You never forget that his hand is on that steering wheel. You never forget. As a mother comforts her child, there you are. As a mother comforts her child, God says, so I will comfort you. 
I used to think when I was young that my mother was the prettiest woman on this earth, the smartest woman and the bravest woman and all that stuff. And then you get older. God is the bravest and the strongest and the most loving and the most wise and the most powerful. And you never outgrow that. The older you get, the stronger does that belief become because of the things he's done in your life. Turning nightmares into blessings. Turning blessings into further blessings. That's God on a Mother's Day. Closing word, Isaiah 43. Isaiah writes, I have redeemed thee, O Israel, I have called thee by name. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you pass through the storm, it will not destroy you. When you pass through the flood, you will not drown. And when you pass through the fires, they will not consume you. Mothers, fathers, sometimes our children have to go through the waters. Sometimes the Red Sea opens and we walk through on dry ground and they walk through on dry, dry ground. But sometimes our children have to go through the waters, they have to go through the fires, and they have to go through the storms. And sometimes we have to do the same thing. But in the flood, he's with you, walking on the waters. And in the fire and the flame, he's with you, like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the great storm comes, he says, In this world there will always be storms. But take heart, I'm holding your hand in the midst of the storm. Where in the world did the Apostle Paul get this idea that all things work together for good? He got it from Isaiah 700 years earlier. Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 40:29. Even young men grow tired and weary. Even you stumble and fall. But for those who wait upon the Lord, he'll renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll walk and not grow weary. They'll run and not grow faint. There are echoes of Romans 8.28, 700 years earlier. Where did he get Romans 8.28? Got straight from David. This brilliant man, the apostle Paul, smartest man in the Bible, including Isaiah and the good Dr. Luke. The Apostle Paul, I'm sure, had much of Scripture memorized. And he's looking at the 23rd Psalm when he's thinking about Romans 8.28. Because the 23rd Psalm is Romans 8.28. He makes still waters out of raging waters. He makes green pastures out of brown pastures. He restores peace to my soul. He sets a table before me when the enemy comes. He anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy had followed me all the days of my life. That's Romans 8, 28, 900 years earlier. A Mother's Day. A Father's Day. Any day that you ever live. His hand is on that steering wheel. 
You sit back, and by great faith you say, Lord, my life in your hands, my son's life in your hands, my daughter's life in your hands, my grandchildren's life in your hands, all things in your hands, a very soft pillow for tired hearts. It's just God. In his powerful name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, my mother got 65 Mother's Day before you called her home. There are ladies at this service who it's their first Mother's Day. And they have many, many years in which they will rejoice over the blessings you give their sons and daughters. And they will lose many nights sleep when difficult times come. If you say in the Bible, Matthew 17, a small grain of faith can move a mountain. May the mountain be moved when mothers realize these things aren't in your hands. You do your best to pray for your child, to model a Christian faith, to bring them regularly to services of God's house, to provide for their further instruction in the Christian faith. But mothers, you turn your child over to God every single day and then step back and say, God holds my child in his arms. And that is enough. I will have his peace in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.